This is Nerve Radio. Good evening, guys. Welcome to, I believe, episode seven now of Football Discussed with myself and my co-host Andy Jones, as always. How are we today, Andy? Uh, yeah, yeah, it's good. It's good. Uh, good evening to yourself, Ollie. Um, it's been a while. We've been a while off air for a while. We've, uh, well, Christmas break, the lockdowns. I mean, you know. Oh, yes, we've we've, we've been, might be very busy, haven't we? Struggling to get our um, our schedules uh, lining up, haven't we? So. Yeah, but um, we're we're here in three, three, months, three months of lockdown has given us the opportunity to really, uh, you know, work hard on this pod. So. And we're, we're really enjoying it. Um, and thank you to everyone that's listened. And we are very determined to make it go further and have a lot of fun with it um, uh, going into 2021. Yeah, brighten up people's lives, hopefully, in this lockdown so. and beyond. But um, so it's FA Cup week. So we've decided to um, to just really like have a bit of an in-depth chat on a few few topics that we've uh, that we think might be interesting to people. Um and firstly, was really um, I, I, I wanted to talk about lockdown football, and uh, you know, I said to you before we we started recording, I'm starting to feel a bit drained from football every day of the week. Um, it it almost feels like you know a perpetual cycle of of football, and nothing seems real anymore. I mean, yeah. I watch football games, and I think. What does this mean? Where, where's the value to this match? <laughs> like, you know. Uh, well, a football man like yourself, uh, I'm surprised to hear the word come through my mouth, Andy. It, it, it's not. It's not that I dislike football. It's just that maybe you can have too much of a good thing. You know, um, maybe that's how I'm feeling. It, it, you know, I I, I watched. Um, I've watched some pretty hideous games in the last few months that really like. You know, it's so hideous that I can't even remember what the games were. I mean, I'm sure they had Newcastle or West Brom in them most of the time. Hundred percent. Um, um, yeah, well, fair enough. I, I get what you're saying um, in terms of it's a lot of football, and you know, if you if we're feeling mentally drained, God knows how the players are feeling uh, having to play. You know, you know, you know, I, I don't think the players it matters so much to them. They get up, they go play. But you know, from my point of view, it's like. I miss the excitement of Saturday afternoons. You know, you go Saturday afternoon, you watch like whether you're watching BE Sports Score or Sky Sports Gillette Soccer Saturday, you know. I'm sure other um, sports uh, channels have um, football things like that anyway. (laughs) But, you know, programmes like that, you know, the games that they highlight, you have like one Premier League game now at three o'clock and then it's like, you know, highlighting a German game. And whilst, you know, I don't have a problem with them highlighting games in other countries and whatnot, you miss the rush of like all the goals going in in the Premier League, you know. I enjoy like when it's Champions League night. I watch the the BT Sports Score, yeah, um, James Richardson and 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 all of that lot. And I find it so much fun. Like, oh, we've had a goal in Rome. Oh, we've had a goal here. You know, rather than you know watching the game in Rome and there only being fifteen minutes of decent football and the other you know sixty five or whatever. If I got my maths right there, seventy five you know, is, is actually not that entertaining. And I find the whole, like, ooh, switching from venue to venue really exciting. And that's what I've missed. I've missed this. Yeah. I've missed Come, that. Match day. The match day, you know? The match day, a yeah. very important uh, part of English tradition is that Saturday mm. match day, you know, when everyone would be down the grounds, cheering the teams on. And you have to talk on Saturday with all the games going on at the same time, the it, team doing it against the other team. And, you know, you come to the final day of the season, Things like Gillette Soccer Saturday, amazing. You know, that oh, oh, yeah, yeah, brilliant. moment where, you know, the Man United are there thinking they've won it. Last minute, they hear that they haven't won it. So you're not going to get that this season. Oh, uh, are we talking like about Aguero? Exactly that one. Exactly yeah. that one. Everyone knows that. Um, yeah. And the looks of Phil Jones and... Uh, well, United uh, finished their game and, top of the table. So. They did, exactly. They, they, they couldn't believe it, could they? No. Uh, but, yeah. Things like that, you know, that... Lockdown has brought changes. Do you know who set that goal up? Balotelli. Oh, damn it. I was hoping you didn't know that one because not many people know that actually Balotelli assisted the goal that won City the league. Martin Tyler. Balotelli. Aguero. His contribution wasn't um, wasn't great, but... Um, <laughs> but yeah, anyway, I think we're digressing from... Uh, from but this is, this is what I mean. This is what Match Day does. This is what, you know, having all the games... You know, well, not all the games, but lots of the games on at the same time... It, it gives you this sense of like, oh, what's going on? Will it affect my team? But now, you know, a game kicks off on Friday. 
they get the three points and, and then, you know, they may be waiting for the team below them to win over the weekend to jump above them. And it's hard to analyse the league table because everyone's at a different stage in their season. Yeah, um, I get you, me 100%. Uh, but personally, my point of view, I can't get enough of it to be honest. And uh, I'm at the moment quite grateful for football alone a lot of the time because I find it very good for me personally. Um, been able to, you know, yeah, I mean, start I mean, the football. I agree with that. I mean, it's, you know, helped me through lockdowns, you know, being able to watch the football. It's something that's there. It's something new happening. But I just feel that, you know, Italy and Germany, I believe, and maybe even France, they've all gone back to like traditional match days, you know, it's mainly Saturday, Sundays, the odd Monday game or the odd Friday game, not this four day weekend where we see, you know, games spread out across the whole weekend and, and, taking away the like this excitement of the event you know it just feels like football is part of you know you know you know it's like a, i don't know it just feels it just feels like it, it doesn't feel special enough anymore i think that's the it thing I, I don't look cool forward thing. to a saturday in the same way as yeah. i used um you know i don't look forward to any day the same way i used to to be perfectly honest <laughs> but yeah um no, yeah. I didn't mean, and I think before we started talking, well, before we started talking, you know, you mentioned something important about, you know, the broadcast and how perhaps, you know, mm. the, the amount of games you are experiencing is down to the broadcast. Did you want to talk about well, that? Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, it suits, it suits the broadcaster, doesn't it? I mean, at the end of the day, you know, if you're a West Brom fan or a West Ham fan or a Newcastle fan, you're going to go watch your team play when all the other teams are playing. It doesn't really matter that the other teams are playing. You, you don't care about that. So who does it benefit to have the games on all at these different times? Well, it benefits the broadcaster because they can broadcast every game exclusively live across the planet. And it helps fit into other, like the Asian markets, the, the American markets, where you've got time differences. So, you know, this is why we see games at lunchtime. They're not for the benefit of people in the United Kingdom watching football, you know. It, if it was me, do you want to get up and watch a game at 12 o'clock on a Sunday? No, you don't. No, you want to get up no. and watch the four o'clock game after you've had lunch. Yeah. <laughs> and, I think, and what, yeah. The problem with there being multiple games on the day, you know, you can have some at different kickoff times. But the point is, is that, you know, while all fans like to watch lots of football, not every fan watches every game. You know, some fans just watch their team. And, and I feel that, you know, it's sort of the broadcasters. And I don't think it's the broadcaster's fault. I think it's more like the Premier League or, um, well, yeah, the Premier League, really, because, you know, they're the ones that want all these games to be broadcast to help grow their brand. And the broadcasters just jump on board. You know, they're not the ones that set all the, the times and the amount of games that they're allowed and all of that. You know, that, that generally comes from the Premier League. And I don't know, I just think, you know, football is becoming a bit... Um, you know, alienated from it from its fan base really uh mm. or teams are becoming alienated from their traditional fan bases and you know, it means a lot in this country football's like a massive culture and i think uh this excess of games is just feeding into a global market and and not really not really helping the you know your your day-to-day -day fan that, that would be going to the game for instance i mean i don't think it, it particularly Helps. I mean, if you want to be able to show you the game so that every fan can watch it, you can press the red button and select yeah. your You know, normally you wouldn't watch every game because if you went and watched the football game, there'd be six others playing at the same time that you can't watch. Like, yeah, exactly. And I think, um, I think that's what, you know, Jürgen Klopp was, you know, trying to point out when he had that, you know, that debate with Dez. Um, <laughs> the debate with Dez. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's what he was hinting at, that, you know, the broadcasters, the Premier League, they're not thinking about fans, players, all that sort of stuff, and it's too centrally based on their own interests and money motivated. So yeah, yeah, but you know that's why I also say it's not all the broadcasters' fault. The Premier League is also responsible for that scheduling fixture. Um, what needs to be done is, in that case, what Klopp's talking about. He's just talking about basically, if I play on a Wednesday night, don't pick me to play Saturday lunchtime. Put me on TV in the evening, fine, but don't put me to play early. And I mean, that was the whole point. It wasn't about playing two or three times in a week. Oh, excuse me. Someone's trying to ring me. But... <laughs> did we, did you pause? Did we keep going? Did we just soldier on through that? Uh, I did pause it 
So we're good to go now. Are we, are we back? Are we back? Sorry, sorry to everyone. We are back. Was, we're um, back live. That was yeah. That was someone ringing me. I should probably turn my phone on silent when I'm. When I'm <laughs> um, I bet they ring back in a second. So you know, it's just uh, it, didn't, it didn't help that me, me me phone was on speaker. You know. <laughs> Um, feels like you're in school, turn your phone off. Anyway, anyway, where were we? Yeah, so, I mean, this whole, um, you know, I think I think to, to conclude on this whole bit, I, I think that the, uh, you know, COVID has just brought, you know, the pandemic, the, the way football has gone about, has actually brought these problems of broadcasting schedules to the forefront when maybe we've kind of not really seen maybe how much damage they're doing to the game. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's my opinion and I just want I just want to be able to to have a Saturday where I'm looking forward to watching eight games on match of the day instead of two you know and you know I, there's something about the event of a match day of a Saturday where all the games are taking place you know I love you know listening to things like Five Live when they do round the grounds and you yeah. know now it's not quite the same you know or Jeff Stelling you know he doesn't have as much work to do on a Saturday afternoon he doesn't do <laughs> printer, do you know what I mean? You know, making life easy for the guy. Um, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it is a very it is a very interesting topic, and um it's gonna be like this until the remainder of the season. So we'll just see what changes next season, really, I guess. And uh Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I could go on about this for a while, actually. I didn't realise yeah, fair. Well um we'll, we'll have a look and move on. Anyway, should we actually talk about some real football? Yeah, let's talk about some real football. We'll have a look at the you know the main talking points for the you know, that Christmas period and, you know, the title race has opened up a lot more. Um, Even I since last we spoke, it's... Um... Literally, literally. I think we'll start with the Southampton-Liverpool game, which has really put into question, hasn't it? <sighs> I, I like the way that you went... Uh, after what we were discussing prior to coming on, I like the way that you jumped straight to that one. <laughs> anyway, yeah, well, we have to talk about the champions first because they're the champions in the top of the league. But, exactly, yeah. And, um, but, I mean... Liverpool haven't been playing well these last few weeks. Um, you know, we haven't won a game in three. You know, so that's three games without a win. You know, this is this is a whether it's a blip or a prolonged lack of drop of form, we'll find out. But you know, losing one nil to Southampton this season isn't you know isn't no. the way to Southampton one nil. We we were sluggish. We were slow. We didn't look like there was. Um, you know, the midfield just looked completely disjointed. But I mean, what, what do you expect when you have Thiago and Oxley Chamberlain? Um, well, I think that might have been their first starts in two or three months, respectively, for them. Yeah. I mean, none of them have played a lot of football this season. They definitely haven't played a lot of football together. Um, so that was, I thought, an unusual one by Klopp to select two, not inexperienced, but two, two players that haven't been regularly in that side. Um, and then memory serves me, uh, Jeannie Wijnaldum was alongside. That's correct, yeah. Which, uh, I think, which is uh, great. I mean, Jeannie, God, I hope he signs a new contract because that man is sensational. And then, and then, you know, well, I mean, I don't know. Do you want, did you want to say something on the midfield there? Before yeah, I, I was just going to touch on that. <laughs> I was just going to touch on that team selection that you mentioned. And um, obviously, you had George Henson start at the centre half. I can't remember the last time he has done that. Not that he doesn't have the ability to do so. You know, he's just oh, he's only only a couple of weeks ago against Fulham, mate. <laughs> oh really? Okay, my apologies. Well, he, didn't um, start, he didn't start there. He, he moved there. But I, I think you know you've had, I believe, was it Nico Williams or um, ne- Nathaniel Phillips? Yeah, Nico, Nico Williams, but Nico Williams. Uh, yeah, I think he he in a few games in that centre half position for you. I mean, didn't oh no, no, sorry, you mean Reese Williams? We got Reece two. Williams. Right, okay. Nico plays uh, right back or left back, and or mainly right back. And uh, Reese Williams in half, yeah. Yeah, the, the the big guy, and I saw he did play. Um, a couple of games for you. He didn't look out of touch, out of position. Uh, alongside Fabinho, I'm sure he he, he looked all right. Um, I'm just trying to think. He looked. I think it was the Newcastle game. He didn't look great. I don't think was it the Newcastle game. One of the last games, he, he came off and Nathaniel Phillips. Um, I think replaced him in the next match. So, yeah, it might have been the Fulham game. Williams played and then was replaced by Nathaniel Phillips. Who I actually I quite like Nathaniel Phillips. He reminds me. He reminds me of myself when I used to play centre half. <laughs> you know, just puts his foot through it, you know, gets his head on it. No nonsense. I like that in the defender. Yeah, big guy. And um, I think, like you said, having Thiago and Alex also Chamberlain are both starting when they're, you know, haven't been starting for a long time. Yeah, and I mean, that, that, that's what it was. We, we lacked coordination like and balance through the side. So, yeah, we had the front three, who were the front three, you know, Salah, 
Firmino, Mane. I mean, we don't really need to talk about what they bring to the Liverpool side. Everyone knows that. But yeah, the Liverpool just, they didn't have those passing combinations. They didn't have the urgency and the press that we normally see, you know, which, which is mainly driven from Hendo being in there, you know, um, or Milner, um, you know, and even Wijnaldum, I mean, looked, you know, off the boil. Um, and it was... Uh, it was an unusual performance. And I mean, at one point, we had three midfielders playing in our back four. We had James Milner at right back because Oxlade-Chamberlain had a shocker. I think he gave the ball away so many times. Uh, was... Do you mean Trent? Yeah, 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 Trent. Yeah. Trent. He gave the ball away. I, I want to say I remember it being like something like 29, 29 times he gave I, the ball away. I've, I've put it down as 38. Oh, oh, even more, even more. I must have missed the last five minutes of his performance. And... <laughs> Because it probably was only in that short first time. So yeah, and then Millie Camp comes on. So then you've got James Milner at right back. You've got Fabinho and Henderson at centre back. And your only recognised defender in the team playing is, is Robert is uh, Robert 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 Anderson. Anderson. <laughs> yeah. Andy Robertson. Um so yeah, all in all, I, I kind of expected that we might struggle with the set of the team that went out. And I don't know why he chose to play Henderson over, you know, he had two young centre backs that have done well. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, performed well when he's come in. Williams has performed well, although occasionally does struggle to um, uh, struggle with his pace. Uh, Williams, um, I think, I think, I think that's why Phillips is brought back in. He's a bit, a bit better um, at running back towards his goal. But yeah, uh, all in all, the main point about this is it's opened the title up like you wouldn't believe because massively, massively, and. Uh... Man United, Man United really like contenders. Uh, I think they do have the squad and ability to stay contenders. Um, and obviously, they've got you guys on the seventeenth. So that's going to be a that's going to be a. Well, I mean, match. this is this is it. I mean, I think is it our next Premier League game? Was it? No, it's the one. I think there's a one before. The that. one after, I believe. Yeah, yeah one after because we've got FAS. I get confused this time of year. It's the FA Cup <laughs> and. Normally, you've got like the League Cup doing its double thing, you know, two semi-finals, but we're not having that this year, thank goodness. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Um, where was I going to go? I was going to go with, you know, Southampton, as we were talking about, and they're in with the title chance, you know. We're halfway through the season, and I would say we have... I mean, you could argue that the top 10 have all got a shout of winning the league. You know, there's only seven points between 10th and 1st. You know, I mean, okay, and, yeah, maybe West Ham can't win the league, you would say. But, you know, then you've got Chelsea, Villa, Everton, Southampton, City, Tottenham, Leicester, United. Well, and you know, you, ever look at, you, could, you look at Villa, they win their both games in hand. They go second or goal difference. Um, yeah, exactly. Well, second, United third. Game in hand, they go top. City win their two games in hand, they go top, I think. So, but, yeah, that's what I mean. Completely it, blown wide open. You know, and this just reinforces my point about, I mean, I know some of these are, uh, you know, have been postponed in that with, with COVID, but, you know, the league table sort of not quite in sync yet. Um, so it's hard to analyse who might be there or thereabouts coming the end of the season. But I would argue that, you know, and, and this is going back on like a Leicester title winning type season, the top yeah. 10 room of a shout, you know, I, I, you know, I'm only saying that because 11 places Arsenal when they're down for relegation. <laughs> <laughs> Right, but, but, you know, you could argue that Arsenal are 10 points off the lead. You know, Liverpool were 10 points clear of City two years ago at this time of year. Mm-hmm. And they and they ended up losing the title by a point. So, you know, a 10-point gap in January isn't unturnable. No, yeah, it's not at all. It's harder when you're that further down the line because you, you're relying on more teams messing up. But, you know... I mean, we've still yeah. got, a lot of the, got a lot of the season to go ahead as well. Throw um, Leeds into that. Leeds are on the same points as Arsenal. Do you know what I mean? Throw Leeds into the into the title race. Why not? They're only ten points off the lead. Yeah, I mean we're not even halfway through the season yet, and you still got games. Teams got games. You know, we're just coming up to it, and and that's what I mean. There's such a, you know, it's so close, and I think it's going to stay close all season because teams are taking points off each other. Saints take points off Liverpool. You know, Liverpool have taken points off City. Um, you know, Man United have taken points, or Tottenham are taking points off Man United. You, you know, you can see it all over chopping, changing up and down the league. You know, you look at Chelsea, they pick up points against some teams and they drop points against some teams. You know, well, it seems to be that we drop points against the uh, top 10 teams, but underneath, we seem to be winning all right. Yeah, well, and that ain't going to win you a title, is it? No, but, it's not. 
you know, you know, but we can say the same for all of these. You know, Liverpool have lost two, uh, United three, uh, Tottenham three, City two. You know, and everyone else is like four or five defeats. You know, and it's you know it's really tight up there. And I don't know. We we gave predictions last time round, but I mean, I've changed my mind since. Then. I've I've changed my mind. I don't think. Uh, don't I mean, say I, it, but... United might win the league now. <laughs> you know, but it's an actual serious consideration now because you know they. You know, okay, look at this for instance. They've scored four goals less than Liverpool, but they've got a game in hand. They've conceded three goals more than Liverpool, but they've still got that game in hand. You know, we're talking about Man United here with, with the same sort of stats as what Liverpool have got this season. So why aren't we talking about the great player of Man United this year? But we talk about Liverpool, oh, they play well, they play great football. But Man United isn't being spoken in that in those terms. No, I think um I don't, yeah, I think people underestimated United this season. Obviously, they didn't have the best start getting obliterated, what, 6-1 or something like that to Tottenham. Um, but they're really coming to uh, Spain. Champions League, you know. <laughs> exactly that. But I think, I think... I think there's this, you know, I think Oli's had it tough because sometimes United haven't played well, but they've won. And I think that's where the difference is. There's been matches where you think, how have they won that? But, you know, Man United got spanked by Tottenham 6-1. Liverpool got spanked by Villa 7-2. Exactly. Liverpool are being given, you know, and maybe because they're champions and they've proven over the last two seasons, maybe sort of three seasons, you know, what a force they are. Um, and United haven't done that and there's been some inconsistent performances, but you have to give credit where credit's due. You know, they've won a, one more game than Liverpool this year and have played a game less, do you know what I mean? So, yeah. I think with your Man United, we, if you're going to give credit, I hate to say it, but I'm going to drop my agenda. I think the credit's going to go towards Bruno Fernandes. Um, <laughs> I think I think he is absolutely, I think he's carried him, to be honest. Um, since he came in, yeah, since last January. I mean, the guy's so Since he's coming, he's carried them. And I think he, I mean, he's, he's my tip for player of the season, really. He, uh, just the way he's come into the league and like, without, you know, in, taking it into his stride. You know, is now the most important player at Manchester United. Hundred um, percent, he's definitely kept the material. You know, at that club, he 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 is being that squad is being built around him, and Rashford, you know, and Greenwood. I would say, you know, Greenwood, Rashford, um, Fernandez, uh, and then you look at it, you know, at the back. You know, they're starting to build, build all right. I mean, Harry Maguire. I just, I don't understand Harry Maguire. One minute he looks like a top centre half, and the next minute he looks like a bumbling. He's been he has been decent these last couple of games, but then I think United's last game, uh, I believe that was against uh Villa. I mean they didn't look yeah, too yeah, good in defence. And you know, Fernandez at it again. <laughs> As per usual, what really ticked me off about him, to be honest. <laughs> but you know, Villa played amazing in that game. That was a really good game of football. It was, it was. And um, I mean again at the back. Maguire looks shaky, so I think that's where Maguire really, you know, puts himself at fault. How is his inconsistency essentially? Yeah, I mean, I do think you know the whole incident with um, in Greece and the summer. Yeah. I think probably has distracted him, and then he's had bad form, and you know, so I think there's been some like, off the pitch incidences that have probably affected his form in that in that regards. But um, while we're talking about one English centre half, should we move on and talk about another great English centre half at the moment, and John Stones? And Manchester City and their um, their revival to say well, you know, revival. I mean, it's like it's, it's almost it's a like word. Yeah. they were shocking, but you know, we'll get on to a proper revival in Arsenal in a minute. But <laughs> um, you know, I think I think John Staines is that is all of a sudden become the player we all expected him to be like two three years ago. Hundred um, percent, and he has you know everyone can see he has played. He's done to play very well. Um, come to his own sort of centre half, his own player, leading the team at the back. But I also think he's again credit to Ruben Diaz. I think he is coming to the side. I think the last few weeks, especially, he has really um, brought that defence together, and I think that's what he's bringing the better at John Stones. Yeah, when you, know, you look having... at it, like last season, you say that that's what Laporte did, right? Laporte brought some stability when he played in that side last year, mm -hmm. um, albeit you know, alongside probably Fernandinho at the time. Stones was about the pitch last season. But, you know, for, for Stones to be keeping Laporte out of the side, just I think that is a testament to how well he's playing and how much faith um, Pep has in him. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's come at the perfect time because 
he wasn't playing like this this time last year and he wouldn't have gone to the Euros. But now, all of a sudden, we might have a John Stones getting into the top of his game available for England. And yeah. that, that just changes the dynamic of the England backline completely having John Staines in there. An actual proper ball-playing, you know, centre-half at the top of his game, or, or at least approaching the top of his game, uh, you know, or finally sort of showing that promise. And I, I think, you know, City are just going to go from strength to strength now. They've sort of, you know, they, they've sorted out their defence this season. You know, they got the best defence um, closely behind... Um, uh, or closely in front of Villa and Spurs, but you know, they have now got that that rock of, of security at the back again. Yeah. Sort of, and now all of a sudden, the way they've been playing the last couple of games, they, they look like they've they've discovered a slightly new system that helps fit all the players in properly. And you know, yeah, I think plays a number nine the other night, and was <laughs> that's it. That's another important part of City's to say, you know, revival is the way that De Bruyne's being used by Pep because. I may think Joe why City weren't playing so well with the striker situation. I don't think Jesus has it in him. I don't think he's ever had it in him to be a starting number nine. Just don't think he has it. Quite um, no, I, I just don't think Jesus has it at all. Uh, and I, I don't think that's why he's always he's always been a sub um, at Man City. Obviously, well, yeah. Guerrero is the sub. best there is. But plays in front of him. I mean, one of the greatest Premier League strikers of all time. So uh, yeah, yeah, and I guess that's. Um, I mean, the, the, you really know, wide, he's, but... he's, he's has got 50 Premier League goals now. So, you know, and I believe he did score at the weekend, didn't he? Was, it, was that the weekend before? Weekend before, I think, yeah. But I, yeah. I just, <laughs> I, if, if you look at the goals, you know, I don't, don't want many Zaki, do you know I mean? Great goals. I don't, I just don't, I've never seen a Jesus, unfortunately. Well, I mean, John Stone's finish at the uh, at the weekend was was a classic centre-half's finish, I have to say. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I'm not even sure. I think he just he just chested it in, didn't he? It was like a something like that. Bounced up and hit. It. It, was, <laughs> it was uh yeah, that, that was good. And and you know, uh Gundawan, what a strike that was. I mean, I, I think we just have to talk about some of these goals because they were beautiful. Um uh, uh that Gundawan goal was just um um and he scored a belter against us as well, the uh, the game before. Yeah, uh, yeah. On the half turn, you know, go through his legs and he picks it straight past Mendy. So, yeah, and that's it, you know, Klopp, um, Klopp, Pep's now finding, you know, they're the getting the most out of Gundogan. He's getting uh, the most out of Foden, who assists and scores again. Mm-hmm. Um, getting the most out of Mares now. You know, it feels like they're all fitting into the side together. You know, maybe, uh, you know, Bernardo Silva is maybe one that is sort of featuring less in this new system, I would say. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you've got, you know, Rodri and, and Fernandinho seem to be, sort of be interchangeable now. Uh, and using De Bruyne, because I think he always wants to put De Bruyne in his midfield, and that sort of then puts Gundogan maybe a bit out of place. Do you know what I mean? And I think having De Bruyne up front, you know, allows Gundogan maybe a bit more freedom in the midfield to be creative in the way that De Bruyne was. Um, and obviously, they're so interchangeable. Do you know what I mean? I mean... Mm-hmm. One player steps into one position, the other player steps into their position. It's just, you know, phenomenal football. Yeah, the way they play, they're always interchanging positions. You know, De Bruyne plays that number nine role, but he'll go up to the right, go to the left. You see Foden moving around that front three. Same with Sterling. They're always moving around that front three. So they have a lot of ability just to keep moving yeah, actually, around. And I keep think them, this is um, worth getting a uh, fantasy shout here that, you know, I think, I think, I know I said it, maybe just before Christmas, that I think City are coming back at it, but now they really look like they're at it. Yeah. Um, it's just who do you, what players do you pick? If Kevin De Bruyne's going to play out front, then get him in your fantasy team <laughs> because he looks like he's going to be <coughs> ripping it up in that position. Yeah. yeah. I've, uh, I've, I've just been Cancelo in my, in my, my defence there. Um, yeah, well, I've, I've got Stones. I've got, uh, I've got Stones. And um, actually, I'm just thinking the goal that I'm talking about, the Stones score, that was last night in the League Cup, wasn't it? <laughs> I think. Exactly that. So I was. Uh, this is what I mean about games all the time. Uh, I just have this like image of Manchester City goals from this season in my head, and I can't quite put what weekend or weekday they happened on, but I know they happened. <laughs> um, yeah. So well, we've touched on a few title contenders there. I mean, uh, yes. So should we look at the Arsenal? Yeah, yeah. The uh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll throw me out of it. I tipped him for relegation a few, or at least to be part of the relegation battle. Um, well, let's, well, fingers crossed they still need to win again. Well, I think, I think they've shown enough in the last three games, um, you know, winning back-to-back matches. You know, I, I think, you know, they're on 23 points now. I, I think, you know, it would be... They won't be hard <laughs> <laughs> um, 
now, you know, the emergence of, the likes of Smith Rowe, who I think is a sensational player. I don't know why it's taken them this long to get him in their Premier League side. He's been amazing in the Europa League for the past couple of seasons. Um, and he seems to be the key in opening defences at the moment. He's, you know, Arsenal can play with a number 10, you know. I mean, it's not like they had a number 10 in their ranks for a while now, but, you know, <laughs> I don't know who talking about. But, it'll be, it'll know, be leaving soon. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, uh, on that, I believe um, there was some reports of him signing a contract with Fenerbahce, wasn't there? Um, yeah, that's correct. Um, but I think they're the rumours that, you know, there's always been rumours that he's going to go off to Turkey. He's obviously um, of Turkish descent or, you know, his parents are Turkish. Uh, growing up in Germany, so he, I know he has uh, like, you know a lot of connections to Turkey, and and has always been linked with going back there or going there to play football. Um, anyway, we won't get sidetracked on yet another <laughs> Ozil, but yes, yeah, Smith Rowe. I mean, he, he seems to be, you know, fair play to the kid. Fair play. He's taking his chances very well. Yeah, and and I'm glad to see that Arteta didn't play him for one or two games and think, right, we're on a winning run. Let's get the old boys back in. You know the, you know the the sort of you know, tried and tested players in and, and, and then that sort of mess it up. He's sticking with this. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually, you know, while I'm in a, having a bit of an FBL mind here, actually Arsenal are a team that I think is worth looking at investing in because they've got a lot of cheap players that are playing at the moment. You know, you look at your Sackers, your Smith Rows, uh, you know, and even, you know, sort of defensively, you, you know, they're starting to... It's, yeah, it's funny you say that. And, 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 you know, there might be a shout there, you know, I would definitely say a Sacker and a Smith Row. Um, yeah, <laughs> it is. Um, it is funny you say that because I had, I've had Smith Rowe in my um, team from day one because of how cheap he was. So yeah. my bench, I, I just put like the cheapest players on the bench because I didn't really bother with them. And then obviously I've had him in for the last two, three weeks. And he's got to be good amount of points. So yeah, no, yeah, um, I've good there. I think um, you know, every fantasy manager should, should really start considering Arsenal again. Um, I, I wouldn't consider Aubameyang because. No, he isn't taking that level. I mean, if you're going to consider a, a more premium forward, there, uh, you know, Lacazette is the one to go for. He, he's he's he scoring goals recently. Yeah, he got yeah, two against West Brom, and I think he he he's the more natural. I don't know how, why am I how am I going to say this? I feel he's more of a natural finisher than a batter. I can't believe I said that, but in the sense of he just he's more of a poacher. That's probably a better way of saying it. I think he just knows to be in the right place at the right time, and he picks up. Those better, yeah, I, I, I get you mean. He's a better striker. Aubameyang sort of can create his own a bit more. Is a bit more. You, know, you want Lacazette in the box, don't you? You just want him in the box to finish. That's how I see him. Mm-hmm. Um, with Aubameyang, he can be more useful as a creator as well as a scorer of incredible goals, and you know, he can score from outside the box, inside the box, left and right. You know, I think. I think you get more from a Bamiyang playing in, in the wider role than you would if you played Lacazette there. Maybe that's the better way of explaining it. Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I, I think it's, and I think vice versa. I think you get more from a Lacazette playing striker than you get from a Bamiyang playing striker. Yeah, I, so, I, think, I just think um, that is the best way to operate them, Lacazette down the middle and a Bamiyang just off. But, I mean, you know, now, now obviously, it, you know, it's going to be, you know, you're looking at it's um, Saka on the right, which I think is a, a great shout. So he can cut it onto his effort. I think that was a really good move from Arteta. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you look at Saka, Smith Rowe, Aubameyang as three, you know, attacking creative players behind a Lacazette. And all of a sudden, the way that they're actually shaping up, that looks all right. Because I think Willian and Pepe are disappointed when they come into that side and they don't create and they don't do their tracking back either. So you're not getting Every defensively time. out of them. And that may no. if they're creating, but they're not. And, um, you know, I think you know, when Saka definitely works hard and tracks, um, you know, was... I think he's been, I think he's been there for seven seasons. Saka. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. Although I think player at the moment is uh, Kieran Tierney. I mean, the guy, the guy should be captain. I don't understand. You know, I think Kieran Tierney is a future Arsenal captain. I think Aubameyang possibly might go in the summer. I don't know if he'll stay. I don't know. I know he signed a new contract, but the way his form's gone, you know, maybe, maybe he'll leave. I don't know. But maybe he won't get another good offer and he'll just end up being another Ozil. I hope not. I hope not. But Well, he's, he's only just signed a contract, hasn't he, Aubameyang? So if he does he's leave, he will be for a lot of money. And it's sort of like, you know, he knows that this is his last big contract. He's not getting another mega money contract after this because he'll be, you know, mid-days. And players just don't yeah. get a big money contract. At that age, you know, he he, he well, you know, maybe he will if he goes to a 
more lucrative market, you know, like China or although Chinese, you know, market is sort of becoming smaller because they're clamping down and all of that in China. But, yeah. Well, the American market, you know, Aubameyang could easily go and play for, uh, sorry, um, that's what I'm saying. I thought, yeah, go play for like Inter Miami or somewhere like that, you know, and, you know, that might be Some where that, the yeah. contract comes and, and, you know, but you don't want another Ozil situation where he ends up sitting on big money and not contributing to the team. And, you know, that's a worry for me for Arsenal that, you know, but, you know, we'll, we'll have to wait and see how, how Aubameyang reacts to all of that. But, um, but yeah, so yeah, Kieran Tierney for captain, that's that's my shout. I think, you know, Arsenal, you know, traditionally have always had strong defensive captains that, you know, lead from, you know, performances and, and passion. You know, you think of Tony Adams, you know, you know, passion and, and yeah. you know, stability, a rock at the back that is dependable. You know, that's Kieran Tierney. Do you know what I mean? His performance the other day was, was brilliant. His goal was brilliant, you know. I think give the man the armband. That's what I say. Yeah, fair enough. I think that would be something I'd have to look at. Um, yeah, keep an eye on just his performances and his attitude in the game. I mean, he warmed up the other night in uh, against West Brom in a short T-shirt and short shorts in the snow. I mean, you know, the Scots, <laughs> you know, uh, just... just <laughs> the Scotsman. You know what I mean? He, he's just, he's just, you know, he can take it all, that guy, you know. Nothing phases him. That's what that's the yeah, yeah, fearful of the cold. Whereas, you know, some of his <laughs> some of his teammates were, you know, snooded up and gloved up and you know, you know, the man just just you know, I think I think, you know, he, he's coming into his own in Arsenal and I think he could be a key player for Arsenal over the next ten years, you know, if he if he stays there, you know, he, he he's one of the best left backs in the league. Um when he's on his day, yeah. uh, I, I truly believe that. I think he's right up there with Andy Robertson as one of the best left backs in the league. Um, you know, not alongside you know Ben Chilwell as well. You know, and you know, all of a sudden you, you know, we're naming some pretty good, um, pretty good left backs. Yeah, um, to the kids. Right, I think we've sort of gone on about Arsenal enough now. I wanted to another the big topic talking point here. I want to talk Big Sam. We can't, we can't do, we can't do the last few weeks of, uh, or you know, things that have gone on the last few weeks without mentioning the appointment of Big Sam at West Bromwich Albion. Yeah, um, you know, everyone thought that he would be the man to sort West Brom out, change things there, um, and fair play. To they got one, one point in three games. games. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I, I admire Big Sam for what he what he does at football clubs. I think he's a good manager. I think he knows what to do. He knows how to win, well, he knows not how to lose games of football generally and he knows how to get points, pick up points in the Premier League. He gets the best out of players. You know, he's a good coach, good manager. His style of football isn't always pretty, but, you know, isn't always the be-all no. and end-all. You know, football is about winning. It's not about looking good. Um, you know, as, you know, Leicester winning the league, they probably weren't the prettiest team winning the league, but then they were exciting on the counter-attack, you know. Yeah, it was great. A bit of, you know, drink water, ping over the top to Vardy, simple as that. So, you know, Would you rather be a West Brom fan who stays up with Big Sam or a Brighton fan or a Fulham fan who go down playing pretty football? You know, that, that, yeah. that's the question. You know, Burnley, for example, they stay up every year and I believe they'll stay up this year. You know, they, they've got a couple of games in hand down the bottom there and I think if they can you know, pull some points out of that, they start, you know, jumping the table a bit and, you know, I think we're... Um, yeah, I think they'll be all right. But yeah, big Sam. Um, he just and you know he's already been quite contentious. He's already made statements in the press. He's already been you know one minute he's not wearing a mask properly at a game for whatever reason I don't know. I mean, either wear it or don't wear it. It isn't an accessory. Do you know what I mean? It's like wear it around yeah. your chin, mate. Either take it off. You know what you're trying to do? Look cool or look? I don't know. I don't know what that was about. And then the following week. He's going on about how he doesn't want to catch COVID and someone of his age and, you know, with the health problems that he has had is at high risk and doesn't necessarily want to come. And I was like, that is a fair point and comment. People's health does need to be taken into consideration. But he only took the job the week before. So where's the, you know, if he thought that, oh, okay, going into COVID environments, this might be dangerous for my health. And he doesn't take the job in football, does he? Because let's face it, Football is probably the worst place at the moment. Is to be. I'm not going to say it's key worker because of course it isn't. It isn't anything like that. But 
you know, it's providing entertainment for people and they're putting themselves at risk by mixing with people, by going and traveling and all these types of things. So Big Sam knew that that's, that's the industry he was walking into. So I thought those comments about, you know, maybe having to have the circuit breaker or, you know, sort of postponing football for a second on, on those health grounds was a little bit hypocritical of the fact yeah, I'm trying to sort of see what his motives are behind this because you know, West Brom in a terrible form. You know, does you know, I'm not saying that he's calling out that his health, uh, um, you know, getting games postponed to give his team a chance to you know get his weird, but you know, you do have to wonder the week before he wasn't wearing the mask properly, and the next week he's saying, Oh, I'm not sure about you know if we should be playing these safe conditions, so you know, you kind of have to preach what you. You know, practice what you preach to a degree, don't you? Oh, that's personal opinion there. Yeah. Just sort of... Yeah, no, I, I, that's fair enough. Um, fair point. Maybe kind of, you know, get the season void and uh, restart yeah, again. Or, or that, uh, I, I just thought his remarks were quite hypocritical of someone that has just taken a job, knowing full well what the implications of taking that job were, and then to say, oh, you know, uh, we should do this circuit breaker. Football needs to nip this in the bud. We don't want to put people's health at risk. Yes, okay, but the situation was the same the week before when you took the job. So, you know, why? Where, mm-hmm. where, yeah. What's his credibility in that statement? Is what I'm trying to get at. <laughs> yeah, I see. And was he saying things um, and using that as, as, a, as a motive to maybe give his team a bit of a break? You know, I'm not saying he did. I'm not implying anything. I'm just trying to. To understand the motives of why he would say that when maybe his behaviour in the previous match wasn't one of someone really worried about their health with the mask, but you know that's, that's yeah, it. yeah. Um, <coughs> just saying. That- big question is though. I was saying the big question is though: Does he keep them up? What do you reckon? Uh, I think uh, so. He's kept eight eight clubs up. Is that right in the Premier League? Um, I think we said this on the last pod we, when we discussed his appointment at the time. Um, you know, there's about eight clubs, Sunderland, Blackburn, Newcastle, Bolton, um, amongst some others, definitely. Uh, yeah. West Ham, thinking off the top of my head. Uh, Everton, there we go. I think I've got them all pretty much. Uh, and Newcastle, was he ma- He was manager at Newcastle. I don't think he ever kept them up. I think he, he never lasted the season. I can't remember. He, he was manager <laughs> at Newcastle. Um, oh, did he come in after? Oh, I think he came in after like Sooness or someone. Um, anyway, getting distracted. I don't think he's going to keep him up. West Brom, no. uh, West Brom are a championship side. Right now, um, they are. They are they're quality they're down there. They're a championship squad. squad. You know, that's the players are a championship level. You know, they got rid of their best defender in the summer, Hagazi. You know, no one's been brought in to replace him. Well, sorry, Ivanovic was brought in to replace him. And, you know, <laughs> as great as Ivanovic was for Chelsea back in the day, he is not the player he used to be. Um, no. I. I you know, I'm just trying to think of the last few games I've seen of of West Brom. I mean, you know, under Allardyce, they've been playing, you know, no one up front, you know, or reluctantly playing one up front. Um, you know, against Liverpool, what, what was it? 6-4-0. <laughs> Something like um, that. Okay, they got, they got a point, so I don't really know. You don't know, probably explain why they got a point. <laughs> but then you look at just the ineptitude against Leeds, you look at, you know, the way, you know, I think they play Sheffield United soon. And I see Sheffield United winning that game. And I actually think Sheffield United will finish above West Brom this season. I think I think Sam's shouldn't have taken the job. Both for his health, you know, sure. and for and and for the fact that I, I think it's a lost cause. You know, I don't think West Brom is staying I up. agree. Uh, yeah, and, and like I said, I believe Sheffield United will pick up more points than when West Brom from here to the end of the season. And I think they'll finish you know, slightly above them in 19th. But... Um, but yeah, um, West Brom, West Brom uh, just not looking like a, a team. I don't even I don't know. No, um, no I don't I think... know who's like watching more at the moment, West Brom or Newcastle. But at least with Newcastle, you get, get some you goals. Fight, you know, from the players. You know, Andy Carroll was savage the other night. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, what was it? Someone I can't remember who said it. Now I think it was uh, on either Football Weekly, um, the Guardian podcast. I believe someone said he's like an old. Um, He's like an old siege siege weapon from medieval times that, you know, takes three or four players to move him into position, but then he jumps up and heads the goal in, you know, fantastic. Um, I mean, great finish, exactly, the other night. Um, 
for for Newcastle. And yeah, yeah, good. Play to the kid. Um, yeah, but um, anyway, I mean, I think we've covered uh, quite a few of the points. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to you wanted to talk about? Um, I was going to quickly touch on Chelsea. Oh um, yeah, of course, of course, of course. I forgot about pink, that. It's written somewhere. Pink, um, yeah. It would be, yeah, you know, I, I can sit here and talk about the positives a few weeks ago, so it's only fair and right I talk about what's going wrong at the moment. Um, I'm not Frank out at all. All I'm seeing on Chelsea Twitter a lot at the moment is Frank out, Frank this. And I'm just, oh, I mean, I just, quickly before you carry on, I'm just going to say something about the manager out situations. Mm. I hate it, right? You support your team. Yeah, okay. There might be a point when you go manager out when they've lost, you know, ten games on the bounce. They've been in, you know, or but you got to give managers time, you know, and time oh, three, four years, like Jurgen Klopp is proving at Liverpool. It know, really does. Um, I'm really trying in, hard, trying hard not to swear right now because it does really annoy me. Um, Frank Lampard deserves time. Last season, under not favourable circumstances at all, which all fans are aware of. Uh, we finished fourth, got to the FA Cup final. Uh, we got through the Champions League group stages. He had a good season, Frank. This season, he's got us through the Champions League stages again, 16 games unbeaten. Um, and, uh, you know, now that we are going through a bad patch, yes, very frustrating. A lot of it is down to him, which I will touch on. But to say Frank out, I think is really... I, I, I completely, like I was just saying, and all these, like, I mean, even... You know, I think I think that at some point there is a genuine cause for calling the manager to go. But yeah, you know, like yeah, we pointed course. out earlier, they're only um, seven points off the uh, seven points off the top. You know, and we're not even halfway through the season. So Chelsea could still win the league this year. You know, that could still happen. They'll need to turn this blip around. <laughs> yeah. but, you know, much like Liverpool are on a blip now. You know, but no one's calling for Klopp to go. No, no, not at all. And, and um, I understand that Chelsea fans have a high expectation of winning stuff because since, you know, your sugar daddy came in and helps you win things, <laughs> you know, you, you won bugger all before that. Do you know what I mean? Well, well that, that's harsh, but you hadn't won much in the years leading up to Abramovich. You know, it had been a long time since you were, you know, the successful Chelsea side that had won league titles. Well, league. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to go, I'm trying to think, when was it back in? I think when when the Chelsea last win the league before it was uh, 1955, I believe. Yeah, you know it's, it's a way back, and you know yes, they had good teams, 70s and 80s. You know Chelsea have always had, you know, a competitive side. Yeah. yeah, they've never been a side that you think, oh, you know, relegation. They've always, you know, yeah. always, yes, there was a mid-table. You know, the 90s was probably you know as elements of mid-tableness at times, and alongside Liverpool, you know, Liverpool and Chelsea were teams that finished sixth, fifth, sixth, seventh for a what long yeah. period of time. Um, and actually, it wasn't until the Abramovich era that you finally beat Liverpool and got into that top four spot. I remember it was a Buddha and Zenden, uh, who later then played for Liverpool, but Zenden scored against Liverpool on the last day of the season, I believe. And was it two oh, right. at Stamford Bridge? And this is Ranieri, this is when Ranieri got you into the Champions League, just as Abramovich took over and then Mourinho mm -hmm. came in. So it would have been 2003. We won the league in 2004, so it would have been, been 2003. Yes, correct. Yeah, so last day of the season, 2003. Actually, someone's saying to me that there's a Jamie Carragher in goal in that game. <laughs> or Zenden. Anyway, the, the point was Liverpool played Chelsea at the end of the season. Whoever won the game went into top four. Chelsea prevailed in that. I think Liverpool had to beat you away. So I think it was a two-all draw. And uh, Liverpool finished fifth. Um, and Chelsea finished fourth. And that was like, yes, you got into the top four. Abramovich is there. Ranieri's done the miracle at you, and then they sacked him. They brought in Mourinho, and he won the league. So, <laughs> and, and you also bought like half of like the best talent in England at the time. Um, yeah. and I think that what, what's going on at the moment with us kind of mirrors that. Um, obviously, that that first time around, it was very instant, and um, obviously we won the league. But that was under Mourinho. He just come from Porto, won the league with them. Do you know what I mean? He he's well, been a great man. Champions League, more importantly, you know, he just won the Euro yeah, and Champions League, of course. Yes, you know that that, that, that I think clinched him the job. I mean, I don't think winning the Primera Liga in Portugal is, um, you know, well, I mean, it is good for your credentials, but I think it was the, the yeah, no, I see what you mean, yeah, the Porto victory, um, and obviously he'd won the um, 
was it UEFA Cup back then? I think it was still with the UEFA Cup the year before with Porto beating Celtic in the final of these. Um, oh, that was a good game. I remember that. I really wanted Celtic to win. That was a shame. Um, <laughs> oh, you're starting to feel nostalgic, which is quite good coming up in a minute. Um, but yeah, like you said, and, and um, but yeah. I think that, you know, Abramovich... I think Abramovich is wise enough to see that this isn't the same situation as when Mourinho brought in all these stars, you know, and I think that there's uh, a good relationship between Frank and Roman. And I think Roman Abramovich appreciates the world we're living in at the moment. What's going to be sacking and getting a new manager in at this stage? Frank, Frank's got to the end of the season, no matter what Nothing. happens. I think that's guaranteed. I mean, yeah, he, he, he will be there to the end of the season. 100%. He doesn't look like a man who's worried for his job imminently. He looks like a man who's worried that he doesn't know how to solve the problem. Um, which could then lead to being sacked at the end of the season, which I think would be a fair thing if it happened and there was a poor season. I think end of the season, yeah, I think yeah, yeah, if we um, and yeah, he hasn't got enough. Then then again, I also also think you know you shouldn't really expect too much from us because to I know we spend what two hundred twenty odd million, but then players aren't going to gel together in a season and play the title winning football. They're just not, and I think that's been shown. Uh, I think yeah. what Frank needs to do to get it right is start the players he has in his squad at the moment who are playing well, who have been proven to play well the last few games, and play in the right positions. Yeah, um, I think, I think you know, just to back your point up there, I think it's about him sort of like him trying to force a style and a way of playing on his side with certain types of players in certain positions, which is all well and good, do that. But at the moment, he needs victories, and sometimes that can mean you know, it's almost like he's not willing to maybe compromise his way of doing things to get that final result. You know, like like I was going to said to you earlier, you know, when I watched a game the other day against City and the first 10, 15 minutes, Chelsea looked like, you know, they're really going to have a go at this. And, you know, um, before they got that, you know, 20 minute demolishing in the first half, which basically, you know, finished the game off. Finished game, the game, yeah. But... Um, in that moment, I just Zayek, you know, Zayek, Zayek, sorry, I don't know if I get his pronunciation wrong, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Kept whipping, cutting back, whipping crosses in from you know, deep crosses, cutting back onto his left. And you're looking at, I, I just remember seeing Pulisic try and jump for the ball around the penalty spot. <laughs> and just thinking to myself, you know, he's up against John Stones and Ruben Diaz, who are like, you know, tall defenders. And I just was like, why is Frank telling him to cross the ball? And then not have Giroud in there. I just, I just don't understand that. Okay, Giroud is probably no, not the best striker in Europe for getting on the end of crosses, for getting to the front post, for getting his head on things. A one-time finisher, you know. Um, yeah. I've talked, you know, one-time finisher. We talked about like Calvert Lewin, I think, previously in the pod as one-time finisher, and I may have talked about how Ancelotti linked him to being an Inzaghi type one-time finisher. You know, Giroud's the same. He, he gets, he gets a lot of. Um, uh, a stick for, you know, not, not being the best player. But I don't understand why. Maybe it's because he's, he's quite a big framed player and people think target man when they think of Giroud. I think that's what people think. I think they think he's a target man. He isn't. He's a one-time finisher, you know, and he's the best in the league at it, in, in my yeah, opinion. He is, he is. And that's what, that's what really does annoy me. <laughs> what really does annoy me uh, about Frank is playing is playing that style of football where it's, it's been very crossing... Orientated, um, but you don't, you don't have or Tammy playing that position. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think, I think, I think Werner just needs a break. He seems too too persistent in Werner at the moment. And I mean, he played Werner down the middle finally, and then he goes and plays like you say this crossing game, or yeah. you know. And it's like, hold on, surely the idea to have Werner is that you try and play the ball in behind, and Werner runs onto things. You know, Werner stretches the defense, pushes the defense, allows Pulisic and Zayek to come in and use the space. You know, sort of in an opposite way to what Firmino does at Liverpool, where he drops and draws the defenders out. You know, Werner would be looking to get on the shoulder and and look at you know running in behind and dragging defenders out of. So surely that's what that plan was. I don't know. That's what I thought they were going to do. And then I start seeing these crosses coming in, thinking you got Giroud, even Abraham on the bench, <laughs> a taller player to get his head on things. It just and I think that's Frank's fault. And I think Frank yeah. trying too hard to impose his style and less so about just trying to win football matches. Yeah, I agree. I think this is the first time over the last week that I've questioned Frank uh, and, you know, 
not so much his ability, but you know his performance at the moment hasn't been good enough as a manager. Well, I, I think it, it, this is the moment where Frank Lampard needs to he needs to look at look in on himself and do a bit of self like reflection. Mm-hmm. And, is what I'm doing right? Can I change things? Should I should I change things now? You know, not stick with these things because sometimes you can stick with something. And it'd be, you know, completely the wrong thing to do. And you're better off going, right, let's change this and evolve your tactics. And, right, this isn't working now. Okay, it might work in six months' time when these players are fully integrated into the squad and they're all playing better. But, yeah, I mean, I I think he needs to sort of assess his sort of tactics. And I notice he doesn't talk to Jody Morris as much. Or maybe it's just me when I watch the games. But at the beginning of the season and last year, you know, Morris is always there right next to him in his ear. And now he, he cuts a very sort of solo figure there. And I don't know whether maybe that's something that has changed. I don't know, you as a Chelsea sort of more of an insider. Is is the relationship between Jody Morris and Frank Lampard the same as it was? Or has Not that... that I've heard of, but there has been, I don't know, speculation, just rumours. I don't, I don't think they're really true, to be honest. But, uh, you know, disagreements between Frank and the players in the dressing room, things like that. Um, I, don't, I don't think, that's necessarily the case. I just think it's Frank giving his players a bollock, you know, a bollocking. Yeah, uh, I know I what you're saying them... there. I know what you're saying there. But yeah. Frank, he has been coming out in the media a lot, attacking his players. Mm. And I mean, that's that's not Mourinho never did that. Sir Alex Ferguson never did that. Wenger never did that. Klopp never does that. Pep never does that. You know, these good managers, they don't call their players out in the media. They call them out to their faces. Yes. No. They don't call them out no need for that, in, yeah. the way, in the way Frank's been doing lately. Like, I mean, it was the players' fault the other day. Um, not the City game, was it? The one before. Um, uh, it's gone. Who did you play before City? Anyway. It, it also gone from my head. Uh, yeah, I was just trying to uh, I'll play 1-1 one, one to Villa. Uh, was it 1-1 one, one to Villa? Uh, but anyway, there's a game that he's coming and say, oh, it's the players' fault. You know, it's the players' fault that we've done that. It's the players' fault. And it's like... You can't do that, man. You can't publicly criticise your players because where's the trust in in you and them and vice versa? You know, trust is is what builds great teams. You know, managers trust players and players trust their managers to get the best out of the situation. And, you know, I feel that there, there's a trust issue at Chelsea, I, I believe. And I don't know if Frank knows what players to trust. Yeah. And this is why I'm saying, but you can always trust in Giroud. And yeah, he doesn't. You can't always trust in Giroud. Yeah. He needs to uh, more, but... Yeah, I think that sums that bit up. I feel like I feel like we could talk all night about football this week, Holly, because I don't think I've lost track of time. So who knows how long this podcast is going to be? I feel like I feel like we're deep into it. Um, so I think this is probably the appropriate time to do our our feature that we're going to finish this week off. Um, what would the FA Cup? Yes, we're not previewing uh, any 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 games this week, and we're going to have a bit of uh, we're going to go back to our, our feature nostalgia lane and. Uh, this week, uh, we've decided to uh, talk about our our greatest footballing moments uh, as a fan, um, not as a player, not as a, you know, not as playing as kids or, or, or whatever, but as a fan, <laughs> your greatest moment. And um, you know, th- this has this has given me a lot of a lot of thought because um, you know Liverpool, being a Liverpool fan, there have been some great moments over the past you know decade or so. Yeah. Okay. You know, well, mainly in the fact that, you know, we're talking about, you know, we won the Premier League, obviously, last year. We won the Champions League a uh, year before that, you know. But to me, the greatest footballing moment I, I can have where I felt so much joy and passion and tears of joy. There was there was also tears of pain to start with. But uh, it's, it's <laughs> 2005 Champions League final, Liverpool free, AC Milan free. Wow. Oh, of course, of course. Wow. I mean, what a roller coaster of emotions. I mean, so j- just to set the scene, because th- th- there's a bit to this, you know, there's several reasons why this is my favourite moment of my life in, in, when it comes to watching sport football. Because I was on holiday with my parents um, in Italy. So obviously Liverpool were playing an Italian side. Um, and as we went to go on holiday uh, at Stansted Airport, there was literally a whole part of the terminal designated for Liverpool fans flying to Istanbul. So I literally had to walk past the gate of thousands of Liverpool fans on their way to Istanbul, chanting, singing, drinking, you know, shebang. So that starts the whole trip off. And then obviously we get to our campsite um, and then it's like the, the finals the next day or within the next couple of days. And 
uh, we, 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 you know, the English people at the campsite, you know, there's a couple of Liverpool fans. I think there's the odd man you fan and, and this and that, you know, gather to watch. And, but all the Italians that work there want to watch as well. And I'm thinking, oh, God, no, going to be loads of Italians. They're all going to want AC Milan to win. This is going to be a tough night of, you know, trying to support Liverpool with all these Italians. Oh, no, in Italy, there, there, there's no national pride. Um, <laughs> You know, Roma fans, because we were in Rome, and Lazio fans, uh, hate AC Milan. This, this is a north-south divide in Italy. You know, they, they hate the, the powerhouses of the north, you know, Inter Milan and, and, and AC Milan and Juventus, you know, these northern industrial giants. You know, Roma and Lazio and Napoli, they're, they're not fond of them. So, actually, we found that everyone was supporting Liverpool. So, it made for a great atmosphere. And uh, I, I believe the barman snuck me a beer. I think it was only like... 12 or 13 years old. <laughs> I, uh, I had a taste of a, a beverage whilst watching it. And of course, you know, at half time, we're <laughs> freaking down. I'm depressed. My dad's even gone back to the caravan or the chalet oh. we're staying in because he's like, I've had enough. I'm a fan, but <laughs> maybe me, but you know, he's still a fan. And you know, he's seen the glory years of the 80s, you know, 70s, 80s. And so, you know, he was like, right, I'm going to bed. This is over. You know, and at the time, Everyone's thinking it's over because, you know, we're 3-0 down against arguably probably the best team on the planet at the time. You know, there was Kaka, there was Inzaghi, there was Gattuso. That, that, that team was insane. Oh. And goal. Oh, God, you know, I mean, I mean the, the side is, you know, it's a sexy side. When you, when you think of football teams, that's like... Sexy, that's sexy football, yeah. You know, and, you know, oh, and, you know, I forgot to mention Shevchenko. You know, of all, you know, the, you know who, you know, okay, was rubbish at Chelsea, but was an absolute great at AC Milan, and probably, probably at the time, you know, maybe one of the greatest strikers on the planet. Um, uh, you know, I think several years previous, he was close, or did he win the uh, Ballon d'Or? Um, anyway, so yeah, that's that's the scene set, three 0 half time, and then of course it happens. As you know. Two, three, and it's three. You know, but when we got to three two, I ran from the bar. I went to the caravan. Not dad, dad. It's three two. It's three two. And he's like, oh, okay. And he gets dressed and comes back, and we're <laughs> watching this free all. And you know, there's jubilation, there's tears. I'm crying at this stage. You know, <laughs> this happen <clears throat> for the next. I don't know how, how long was left. Yeah, there was extra time. There was half an hour. I think there was twenty minutes of the game. So there's still like a good forty five minutes of football that was still played. Where Liverpool were almost hanging on to the draw, you know. I remember Shevchenko running down in, in extra time, and Dudek pulling out this like wonder save off the goal line from a like point blank Shevchenko shot, and you're just like, okay, this is it. Because right, I thought, I thought that was the moment. I thought that was it done. And then uh, obviously penalty shootout. You know, grovelar wobbly legs come out from Dudek. Oh, you know, the emotion, I'm feeling it all now. And it was like, yeah. And, you know, so that that game, probably the amount of emotion, the roller coaster, but the joy at the end. Yeah, I was in floods of tears crying. You know, it was probably because I was so emotionally drained. But, yeah, wow. Wow. What what experience. Any any Liverpool fan, I mean, that that isn't your greatest of a moment then. Are you a Liverpool fan, essentially? Well, yeah, I mean... And I, I thought about the 30 years of the league. You know, I've never seen Liverpool win the league. I've seen, I've seen them win the Champions League twice. So the second Champions League win, as great as it was, with the great team that we had, it was you know, a pretty rubbish game. And, you know, we never really looked like we were going to lose it once we went 1-0 up. So, you know, there wasn't... didn't feel like there was as much at stake in that game. Um, and then, uh, yeah, like the Premier League win, you know, I think that would have been my greatest moment had there been fans. Mm-hmm. I think that with, because there wasn't any fans, I felt there was no, the emotion was lost with it. Yes, I was ecstatic, but, you know, it felt like we'd won it in February and then there were no fans to celebrate. And by the time we sort of did win it, it was all like, well, it felt like a foregone conclusion and, you know, no one's there to celebrate. Oh, the next season started, here we go. Do you know what I mean? So I think from the the emotion, the raw emotions I felt on that night in a Rome caravan park, <laughs> I, I will forever cherish. Um, Fair enough. What about Fair yourself? Enough. Well, obviously, on our, one of our previous podcasts, we mentioned our favourite World Cup moments. Um, mm-hmm. So, a big mention to Kieran Trippier's top bins free kick 
Um, Ooh, nice, look, nice. look, that's not what I won't go for that for this week. Um, uh, yeah, well, that's that. a pretty, that's a pretty, uh, very small moment, uh, yeah, yeah. But, but I, don't know, I, I don't know what it was, it was just that, it was just that moment of when, yeah, top binge oh, oh, we might actually get to a final, <laughs> even semi final, you know, in the pub, beer flying everywhere. Oh, it, it was, it was great, it was really good. Um, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow, I'm gonna follow your footsteps, and it is gonna be between 12. Munich, Chelsea, Bayern Munich final. Um, and for the same reasons as you, really, the emotion that went through that game. I was only 12 years old. Um, oh, that's the very same age as me. Then. Yeah, so. yeah, and, and, and the, the emotion I felt in that game, being that young, I don't think I've ever felt happiness quite like it, to be honest with you. Um, you know, there's, there's, there's something about winning a final from behind, isn't it? It's what I mean. It's what, and, and, and the odds no, I'm, sure, I'm sure I'm a United fan of our ages, you know, you might say it was, or of my age, would, would probably say, you know, in their 30s, would probably say, oh, it was 1999. And, 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 yeah. you know, and, and so, yeah. It's what, yeah, it's what I mean. It's just when the odds are against you, like, like it was for you, just like it was for us. Um, and the journey we'd been on to get there, Di Matteo was our manager. I don't think he was a manager before that. Um, we had Terry, he was out. The odds were, the odds were against us, like you'd never believe. Um, and then you got... Robin missing a penalty, um, and then just crazy. Drogba's header. Oh. I mean, I, I watched that game at the pub actually. I think um, I remember watching it because yeah. I was uh, I was with um, I was with a load of mates uh, just you know, watching Champions League final as you do. Chelsea fans, and I just remember being like, oh, Bayern Munich have like dominated this game, like absolutely dominated it, and it was like. Yeah, stat, like it felt like the right result. You know, everyone was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." Chelsea don't deserve to win this. <laughs> that type of the match where we we're all sort of analysing it, and then like, pops drug, and you're like, "What?" what? <laughs> Literally, oh, what? Really? You know, scenes that go wild. And I have to admit, you know, as a neutral, I love, I love that the underdog always. Well, it doesn't have to be the underdog, but a team coming from behind to win oh. against the odds, no matter who it is. You know, even and I'll hold my hands up to this. In 1999. I remember watching Solskjaer and Sheringham get those winners against Munich as well. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm in the final, but yeah, I just remember that got me emotional seeing like them score those goals. It's, it's the players' reactions, you know, when they score and they realise they've done it, and it's like it's, it's just crazy. It's what football does to you, isn't it? And um, like you said, when you, when you are neutral and you're you're watching, you know, an English side especially do something like that, you can't help but feel good. <laughs> you can't exactly, uh, and it's good for English football. You know, even even like we talked about when uh, Real Madrid beat Atletico Madrid in the final when Atletico had been winning one nil for like most of the game. You know, the heart Ramble, rate, oh Ramble, yeah, Ramble's header. Oh, they go they go crazy, don't they? Oh. oh, but um, yeah. Well, that was our. Uh, I think we're probably well over on this pod this week. But um, hey, I really enjoyed that. That's some good chat. Um, a little Otherwise. bit different than what we normally do, but we'll be back to our sort of regular. Um, regular sort of show next week this has sort of been an extended festive special because we haven't seen each other for a while so we thought yeah. we'd get everything off our chests in the week <laughs> so um yeah well that's that's it from me that's it from us and uh, we'll see you next week cheers thanks for listening bye thank you